I'm Josie Rodriguez Boucher, and this is the Intersectional Fertility Podcast, where ideas and identities intersect to deepen our understanding of fertility and ultimately our whole selves. Dominique and Ariel Wilson, owners of The Word Queer, are a Black queer married couple aiming to normalize and destigmatize Black queer love. With their platform based on love and positivity, they want to guide queer women of color through their journey of self love and acceptance. The Wilsons have been together for almost 10 years and married for almost three in November. Dom and Ariel have been trying to conceive for about a year now and often share their TTC journey, the ups and downs, on their social platforms. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Dom and Ariel. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much. Absolutely. So what are your pronouns and where are you joining us from today? I guess I'll start. So I'm Dominique. Um, go by Dom. My pronouns are she and her. We're in joining from Charlotte, North Carolina. And hi, all. My name is Ariel. Pronouns she, her. And, you know, like she said, we're in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I was introduced to both of you and your story through Mosey Baby, which is the at-home insemination kit. And I've loved learning more about your relationship um, via Instagram. I know you two met at Hampton University in 2012. Is that right? Will you share that story with us? Yeah, Uh, yeah, that is. Yeah, that's it. I always make Ariel share it. I just feel so loved when she shares her. (laughs) So let me see if I can do it justice. (laughs) Okay. So we had a class together and she didn't see me, but I had already seen her. And I um, was trying to figure out, like, how do I spark conversation? Like, how do I speak to this woman who I know, I know she's for me. I just know, I know that. So the, the teacher, um, you know, make, or the professor, um, we're doing an assignment. The professor's like a uh, group up with someone. So of course, who am I going to choose to group up with? <laughs> her. So grouped up with her, sparked conversation. We often talk about how she was singing a song, El Varner at the time, um, one of her songs. And I knew that song cause I was obsessed with her at the time. And, uh, yeah, that's how we that's how we really started. I gave her my phone number. She texted me. Oh my gosh! Yep, we've been inseparable ever since. Oh my gosh, that is the most adorable thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Fun fact: I thought she was a slacker when <laughs> when we met, though. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't know the vision yet. She wasn't picking up what I was putting down, but you know now she gets it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it! What signs are you two? I'm so curious. Um, I'm an Aquarius, and she's a Capricorn. Capricorn okay, yeah. okay, because usually the Capricorns are not the slackers. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, okay, so I'm not a slacker. No, she, I'm absolutely not. But like in that, in that sense, I was because I didn't have the supplies or the tools or whatever that was needed gotcha but, um, you know my grades were good I, nice. was, I did the work but just in yeah. this project <laughs> I, w- I didn't have it with my first impression right. I see I right, see right. you're yeah, quickly no, corrected <laughs> yeah. yeah she uh overworks and over schedules me yes oh my gosh yeah 
My partner is a Capricorn, so this I'm speaking from being a partner of a Capricorn. <laughs> what, what's your sign? I'm a Pisces. Okay. Yeah. So when did each of you know that you wanted to start trying to conceive and how did you begin doing that? Ooh, so I'll talk about my perspective first. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I always knew I wanted to have children eventually. Um, and so it was all about finding the right partner. But if even if I didn't find the right partner, I knew I was going to have children. Mm-hmm. So I was ready. And then meeting Ariel, um, I felt like I was in my perfect relationship. So it was easy for me to come to the idea like, hey, let's have kids soon. Now, it was all about really finances that mm-hmm. kind of like stopped and made it like not happen as quickly as I would like it to. Right. And also Ariel's take on things because she didn't grow up the same way as me. And that's kind of where you come in yeah. with your. So, yeah, like, my experiences with uh, having children is um, a bit different, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to have children. Mm-hmm. And that's simply because I am a Capricorn and I wanted to work I wanted to, you know, be a businesswoman, but, you know, being in this great relationship, you know, I found someone where I can do both. And so we really started talking about conceiving maybe about two years ago, Mm -hmm. I want to say. And then it was discussed, it was a discussion about who's, how do we, what route do we take? Right. Yeah. We knew about two years ago. I was, I would say we talked about it, um, having children longer before two years ago but I would definitely say that around two years ago we started having that conversation of how do we do it Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it got so overwhelming for us that we just didn't think about it again for (laughs) until now yeah totally that's the overwhelming part is like where Mm -hmm. to start and how to do it exactly it's like there's so many ways so many options that it just feels like which one is the right one for us so we had to we had to think about that it was just a lot of decision making that had to come into play and we kind of are indecisive so it kind of just took a back back seat <laughs> to yeah. life for a little bit totally were you gonna say something I was going to ask, I want to make sure that I answered your question. Mm -hmm. What was, can you uh, repeat the question again? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, um, when did each of you know you wanted to start trying to conceive and then how did you begin? So I'm wondering, did you figure out a way or have you kind of decided on how to go about it? Yeah. So, and that's why you found us through Mosey Baby. We decided the um, at home route. Mm -hmm. Um, We contacted a really good friend, which that was a entire process like yeah. who do we go with who we con- like it's so much yeah. so um yeah we decided with a good friend of Dominique's and you know he was very grateful very he said he was honored to be oh. a person we chose so that was fantastic amazing so, yeah, that's how we went with that route it was the most cost effective it was really just the best one for us at the time it was because I, I know I really gravitated towards at-home insemination because it like she said, it was cost effective. And then it was it was just something that we could take control of right now, more so than trying to look through donor registries yeah. and profiles to go through that process. Yeah. It just it added another layer for us. So we were we were like, what is something that we can do right now that we can start? Um, and gratefully, my friend was he was a perfect person. Like when we thought about if we, if we started this at home, who would we want? Um, He was right up there. Number one on the list. So it was just, we felt great that he felt the same way. Like he wanted to 
uh, help us out in that way. So yeah, that's amazing. What a blessing that that worked yeah. out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend of mine, like that difference between, and I'm curious if you all had this experience of at home inseminating versus like going into a clinic doing IUI and just how much more, it seems to me that it would be so much more calming and you'd have more control over like your environment and your nervous system and the whole experience to be able to do it at home. Yeah, we don't have the experience of doing it in like clinically mm-hmm. like no, that we don't. but I do think like it's it's been over uh, it's been about a year for uh, of us trying mm-hmm. um at home so I do think we have to start thinking about that as an mm-hmm. option for us um we're not ready just yet but I'm kind of worried like you see a lot of social media people post on social media about the hormone injections um the emotions and TTC, like trying to conceive already comes with a lot of emotions. So I'm really nervous about if we do have to do it, uh, do it that way, all the emotions and things that'll come along with that journey. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, you know, we will if we have to. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of things I think you can do in the clinic, you know, in the clinic setting in order to bring those feelings of safety and peace and Mm-hmm. and intentionality to that process too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How? How do you I, bring that to the... <laughs> Personally, I've known, I've seen a couple where they were in a clinical setting and mm-hmm. the doctor allowed the partner to um, inseminate. Okay. Them. Right. That makes totally. it a bit more intimate. Yep. Yeah, totally. And there are also um, some midwives who will come and do the insemination at, at your home. That's a possibility too. And then something that I go over a lot with my patients is like little simple things like belly breathing. So just breathing from your belly when you take a breath in to push your belly out instead of breathing up here in your chest Mm. area, um, breathing down in your belly, it actually um, signals your parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and relaxation response. And it's, it clears stress hormones from your body faster than any drugs. I teach that to all of my patients okay. to do that, especially in clinical settings. Yeah, well, I have to, you know, note that. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that's to- I think that's where um, it can be helpful to be a part of a community of other folks who have gone through this type of stuff, and you can, you know, they can bring their creative ideas of what they've done and what, you know, has worked or hasn't worked for them. So I would love to talk about specifically like what your experience has been like trying to conceive as a black queer couple and also in North Carolina. Yeah. So we wanted to highlight the fact that when we were, um, choosing, trying to choose a donor, Mm -hmm. we wanted to go with the black donor so that our kid could look more like us, but there was a shortage of black donors. Yep. And uh, we thought that was interesting. We were okay with, you know, choosing a a different race, but, you know, that was, it it stood out to us that they're not black. Um, There are very few black donors. Yep. Mm -hmm. And what makes, another thing that makes me nervous about a clinical setting of trying to conceive is the statistics of black paternal health. So that's, that's always in the back of my mind. And I haven't personally dealt with any racism or any other like type of discrepancies like that in a healthcare setting, but so many people have. Yeah. And so it is, it's a real, 
it's a real fear because it's a real thing that's happening. So I think that kind of drove our decision to try at home too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. To both of those things for sure. Um, I think that's where a doula can come in really handy mm-hmm. to have um, that that other layer of advocacy mm-hmm. for you in that setting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious too about like what the word queer is like what is it how did it start what inspired you to create it we had been dating for years but we didn't really feel like our family and friend groups kind of like uh treated us as a like as we were in a full relationship we felt like we were treated as best friends or the girls yeah right you know so we thought um a way to show them kind of is to show it on Instagram. Everybody's going to follow us, like all of our family and friends right, are right. going to follow us and they'll see our content and they'll see us interacting as a normal couple, just like them. And um, so it'll kind of normalize it and we can begin to be more of ourselves in front of them. We didn't know that it was going to like take off. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> we, did <not. laughs> we, we didn't know it was going to take off and resonate with so many people. Um, so many people have never seen black women being intimate online um or in In general general. yeah right so many people just resonated with our stories individually our coming out stories uh and it just took off like that so that's where it started and now we just use it as a space where we just want to since we identify as black queer women Mm -hmm. we first want to be a space for black queer women to have representation Mm -hmm. but at the heart of it, we just want to be representation for anybody in a queer community who's feeling, who needs a safe space, who wants to feel normalized in who they are. So that's what that's what we do now. And that's why we just continue to share because we know someone out there, even if it's just one person, um, can benefit. And we can benefit a lot from a lot of other people's stories. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot of stories people tell us about their lives. And so we get a lot of benefits from hearing, listening. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. The word queer has been personally um, empowering. Mm-hmm. Yes, it began because we were not being seen or we weren't feeling respected as a queer couple in our you know black community, which that is very true. Mm-hmm. But personally, I've been more reserved in life, and so by having a place to express all parts of me has been very, very, it's been an emotional process. It's been, or an emotional journey. That's Uh what I meant to say. An emotional, spiritual journey. Um, And that is what the word queer has done for me uh, personally. I love it. That's incredible. And that's so cool to hear how it's become a two-way exchange. Like it's also been beneficial for you too. It really has. So many people have such heartwarming stories and they've been through so many just amazing journeys Mm -hmm. and just to see how they view their outcomes now and how Mm -hmm. like the type of work they do now, um, how they like to give back to their communities. um, It's just inspiring. So it's definitely one of the major things that keep that makes us continue to share. Yeah, I bet. That's so cool. And that's wild just how, um, I mean, just the fact that you did grow your following so, you know, so quickly and unexpectedly, it's like, that's how necessary that type of representation is. That's a good point. 
I keep a picture where we were like, thanks for 600 followers. Yeah. I was so excited about having 600 followers because we had started when the page was at 400. Oh my gosh. We were so excited. We were like, all right, this is it. Great. (laughs) But then it continued to grow and it continued to grow. And I mean, it, it, it really is fantastic. It is. To see that so many people are finding what they need in us yeah and it's really it's it's so impactful for us for them I don't know it's just it's just a beautiful journey it definitely makes me feel like we're not alone and mm-hmm. I, and if it makes me feel like that I know it makes so many other people feel like that um so to see it grow so much mm-hmm. I had you know you think you're you only know what you know so That's in true. your box of uh people and experiences Mm -hmm. and their experiences you can only you're limited to what you know so like expanding that on social media it expanded our connections and so we get our perspectives can change in so many different ways can i interrupt yeah that's my favorite part about social media is the fact that you you get an inside view into other people's lives totally it's really important to be able to step outside of what you know because that's a very limited that's a very limited life, very limited beliefs. And um, yeah, that that's my favorite part about social media. Now, of course, mm-hmm. there are, you know, other parts, you know, but how we use it as we use it as a resource to be a tool. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking back to my, I, I know I heard you mention your coming out stories, how people could resonate with your coming out stories. And I remember when I was first coming out, how desperate I felt for looking for other people who, where I could feel that they were similar to me in any way, had any part of their story that was similar to mine. Like I just felt so isolated, so alone where I, d- I just remember actually using Instagram quite a bit of, of to like find other mm-hmm. accounts, other people who were also queer, also Latinx, also non-binary, also a parent, also, you know, all these different parts of myself yeah. that I was like, where are, where are they? <laughs> where are my people? I can't be the only one. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how we used, um, before we were on Instagram, we used YouTube a lot. Mm. Um, so we, yeah. we would find a lot of couples um, on YouTube and it wasn't until we started our page that we started noticing even more couples. It's like, where, where have you been? Yeah, (laughs) totally. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's cool. I think another thing that helps us resonate with other black queer peoples, because I think we, we, we aim to look relatable. Mm -hmm. We don't aim to, you know, look like we have, you know, a million dollars or look like we have fancy because cars. We <laughs> we're not, we're not trying to do that. We're really showcasing like what we do like every day. Right. But every single day we're a happy black queer couple. Mm-hmm. So I think that is what attracts others to us. Totally. Totally. Cause it's, it's literally normalizing mm-hmm. it. Cause it's like your, yeah, it's making it like everyone can, you know, see that you're a normal couple. Yeah. I'm so curious to know, did this work or help just for your family to see or treat you differently or question? That is a good question. I don't think I've ever thought about that. Um, I would say the answer is absolutely. Yes. I think it helped. Certainly. Cool. Um, I think you think, think no, I think it helped, but I think it helped us more 
I think it helped us become more comfortable with being a, in a like being a couple and doing coupley mm-hmm. things in front of them. Yeah, so that's true. So that's, that's true. how I think think it changed. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that because honestly, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm like bad mouthing what we have built. Yeah, but um, honestly, uh, if you are comfortable with yourself. You don't need mm. like uh, social media. You don't need, you know, other other avenues to be your true authentic self. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree with you that it helped us mm. be more comfortable with us. who we yeah. are. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was saying earlier. It's been personally empowering. Yeah. To, um, to be my full self, like even in being black and queer, I wasn't always my full authentic self yeah. in different spaces. And so, um yeah, I, I do think that. So my answer is still yes. Mm-hmm. I do think it helped, you know, the family see us because I don't think that we're referred to as the girls anymore because grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles are following us, you know, and we're not like the hidden black queers over there in, in the corner. Right. You know, we're they're actually seeing our personalities and our identities, right. which they were not before. You know, they would have to pick up the phone to call us to see how we're doing. And they weren't going to do that. Right. But now we're a topic in the house now now you have to see us now you do believe what we're saying now you do believe that we're happy mm-hmm. now you do believe that we are in that you can see uh same-sex women same-sex um loving couples um and be in happy relationships totally oh that's amazing I'm so happy to hear that and I feel I feel a lot of that you know in my own community and with my partner I think very often we're in situations where I feel really self-conscious of like not appearing too coupley or not having, not being too affectionate or, or fearing what other people are thinking about us or even feeling safe or not safe. Like, you know, I think a lot of times that comes up for me where I, I am lacking that confidence of feeling like, I don't know if people view us as a legit couple, you know, if some people see that or don't see that. And I'm always wondering, you know, so yeah, what a, what a gift you're giving to people. This is huge. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for that. And I think we still do have those fears. I I think um, we've done a lot of work to mitigate them Mm -hmm. and we continue to do that work, but um, those fears, they they come up, Mm -hmm. but a lot more, infrequently than they used to they used to be we were consumed by the thought at first of what other people of what other people thought Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. but now not so much but I think that's very normal in um the queer world because Mm -hmm. we have a lot of things going against saying that what we are doing which is living our normal lives and we are authentic selves is wrong right so it's very normal to have that fear have that anxiety about being yourself no Mm -hmm. matter how long ago you've came out come out um or if you've just come out Mm -hmm. I feel like it's always gonna there's always gonna be that thought Mm -hmm. um but it's how you choose to respond to it Mm -hmm. that's gonna really kind of help you in your day-to-day life yeah Totally. I love that you've really actively decided how to deal with that, those fears of just like really making your own space for, you know, yourselves and showing the world this actually, 
we're not just going to sit here. <laughs> yeah. And when it does come up, um, we, we have to have a conversation about it because mm. there's times where I'm feeling more, a little bit more self-conscious um, or one of us will be feeling a little bit more self-conscious about mm-hmm. appearing um, super like sh- doing PDA or sure. not even just holding hands. Yeah. And we'll have to, we'll, we'll take a step back and talk about it. Like, why are you feeling this way? What are the triggers right now in this space? Like, is it something you can get over right now? Do you want to try to get over it in this space? Or do you need this to, do you need us to not appear like that in this totally. way? What do you need? So I think it's just, especially if you are in a, in a relationship, it does take that, um, that communication that open communication and then if you're not in a relationship I think it takes you having that communication with yourself like listening to your body mm-hmm. and just checking in with yourself um and doing what you feel comfortable with in that moment yeah I love that I I can think of so many times where I have felt those feelings and I don't know that my partner and I have ever explicitly talked about it so I think that's uh, a wonderful idea to just really, and even in the moment to address it in yeah. the moment. The feelings are raw. Then, yeah. so. Right. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, so cool. Um, so I'm wondering kind of going back a little bit to the conception process, I'm wondering what has been the hardest part for each of you of trying to conceive and what's been the best part. The hardest part for me is, like having a lack of control yeah in the process I, I I don't have any you know and like really having to take a back seat to what happens like it, there are a lot of things we can control like tracking and and you know um, how we feel about mm-hmm. things and you know how we respond and and that's cool but whether we get that positive or not that's beyond my control. Yeah. And, you know, and also not, and also being the non-gestational parent. Right. It's difficult. That comes with a lot of emotions. And so while I would, while I, I take a back seat in some things, I didn't realize how much it was affecting me emotionally mm-hmm. until like, until I like start talking about it. But my first response is to make sure she's okay because she is the one carrying. Right. And so uh, that's, that. those have been the hardest parts for me. Yeah. Um, for me, the hardest part, I would say, is trying to separate what I expected to happen um, versus my reality. Right. I grew up being told that, you know, one day you're going to be married, one day you're, you're going to have kids, and you're going to be a wife and be with your kids and be live this perfect life. Right. And <laughs> so I'm growing up like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get pregnant and I'm going to have so many babies and no, I didn't know about the hardships of that can occur during pregnancy. Um, I didn't know, even if you didn't don't face any hardships, that it can be a process to get pregnant. And so it wasn't until I'm trying myself that it's like, oh, I'm having this reality check. Right. And so it hit me hard when the first no happened um and then the second one and then the third one Mm -hmm. after that we had to take a break because I just couldn't I couldn't figure out I thought something was wrong with my body Mm. um I didn't know that even people in who have healthy healthy wombs um and do everything to the 
to the T could take some time getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I, I never knew that. Um, so it really hit me hard. And then once I did the research, talked to friends, like I was able to come uh, kind of bring myself to the reality of it all um, and normalize that. Okay. This is going to take some time. Right. And I just keep telling myself, this is going to take some time right. and it will happen when it is supposed to happen. Um, as long as we just keep doing what we're supposed to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. totally. And what are the best parts? Are there any best parts? <laughs> yeah, I think there have been some great parts. When we started, we didn't know what we was doing. And that's just what it was. Um, we yeah. didn't know what we were doing. But our communication got a lot stronger. Mm. It got so much stronger. And I don't even really know how to explain it. Like we weren't, it's like we weren't even listening to our bodies. We weren't listening to ourselves. We weren't listening to the other person. We were bickering quite a bit Mm -hmm. in the beginning, but now it's such a beautiful process when we, when we do uh, conceive. (laughs) Yeah. When we, I don't know why that was a question mark, but when we do (laughs) conceive, right? Like it's, it's, it's such a beautiful process and that's because it's taken us time to get here to learn um, how to communicate our needs during this time. Totally. That's beautiful. I would say for me, the best part has been kind of learning together mm-hmm. in it. But while learning together also, because again, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, but I I liked that. I liked that we were at the same place in it. Totally. I like that it was something that we could do together and yeah. research together and read and yeah. uh, learn. And then also kind of, kind of what you said, it, made our communication better but what helped that is us taking a hold of our spirituality during the journey Mm. um so tantric exercises we did a lot of those we do a lot of those to to make sure that we're connecting beyond words and I, i feel like we didn't start that until we start until we began um our conception journey. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that is my favorite thing. Wow. That's incredible. What are tantric exercises? I'm so curious. So tantric exercises are ways to deepen the connection. Okay. And it can be, they're intimate. I mean, it's very intimate. It's yeah. all very intimate, but there it's sexual and non-sexual. Okay. So there's like eye gazing mm-hmm. um, where you, just stare deeply into each other's eyes. You start out, you can start out in small increments of time, two to three minutes of uninterrupted eye gazing. Um, some people do it up for up to 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Um, we haven't made it that far. No, <laughs> I feel like I would just start laughing. <laughs> yeah. That was us at first. Yes. Yes. That was us at first. But um, there's uh, deep breathing, um, kind of what you were saying, like with the belly breathing and everything. So it's a lot of that, but just doing it together, um, heart to heart, just like that, that nice touch of one, your hand on your partner's heart, mm. their hand on your heart and just breathing together and just listening to each other's bodies. And I was going to add music. There's, we just YouTube tantric music. Okay. And that's what we listen to. Oh, wow. Um, while we're conceiving. So it's, it's amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, it really just takes it from being, feeling like a, sometimes a clinical process. Right. To, you know, feeling like our own. Right. So it, 
it it really deepened the the connection mm-hmm. you know during that during that very intimate moment that's incredible literally no one has ever brought that up I've never heard of it for and especially used in this context which I think is brilliant um, and I'm just thinking too I wonder if you could like put it on headphones like in the clinic setting, you know, that music, bring it with you. I guess you could. I don't see why not. Right? Yeah. Airpods are, yeah. <laughs> they don't have to know what you're listening to. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, how do, where, where do you learn tantric like connection? These, like these techniques, did you have like a special place where you learned it? Uh, no. So, Honestly, I saw a TikTok video. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, TikTok um TikTok school, TikTok University. Amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was this couple and they were doing one of the hand to heart um breathing exercises and I'm curious all the time, so I always dig deeper into things. So I go I went I just kind of like searched through their page and yeah. they kept using this word tantric. Okay. Um, which made me research tantric and bring it into our relationship. And she was really receptive. Ariel was really receptive. And mm-hmm. um, then we, we just, it's just been something that we love to do. Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm just picturing myself how I would learn more about this. I would just Google like tantric. So you have to be careful with Googling it because it is I feel like Google leans more towards the sexual mm-hmm. aspect of it while sexual, like while there's nothing wrong with like sexuality sure. and sex. Right. If you want more of the, like the connection building mm-hmm. part of it, you just have to kind of like read filter through okay. all of that. Okay. Um, Cause I, because I feel like the sexual aspect comes after right. the connection. Right. It's like a natural, almost mm-hmm. a natural progression. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. I love this. I, I feel like everyone's going to be Googling <laughs> tantric connection exercises. Oh, that's so cool. Um, well, this kind of goes into my, what I wanted to talk to you more about too, is like, if you have any words of encouragement that you would like to share with other queer people of the global majority or people of color in our audience who are trying to conceive currently or who would like to. I would say my biggest piece of advice is to listen to your body and do what your body needs you to do in that moment. I know that the process could feel, it can feel rushed because you are kind of on a time right time thing. You have to make sure everything lines up to hit that perfect day. Right. But sometimes your body just might not be ready for it at that time. And that's okay. Waiting a month is not going to, not going to hurt. Mm-hmm. As, as much as you might think it will, you might be more ready. So I would just say definitely just listen to your body cues and follow that. I yeah. love that. I agree with that completely. Um, I'm kind of going to piggyback off that, um, but I want to speak to non-gestational parents. Mm-hmm. We play a vital role in the process, but I think our journeys can maybe get overshadowed mm-hmm. by, you know, what's going on with the person that is carrying mm-hmm. or gestational. Right. Um, but I encourage, you know, uh, the non-gestational parents to check in with themselves mm-hmm. mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. 
while going throughout this journey um, because we're important as well. Very. Totally. Totally. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's such great advice. Um, I especially love, because this comes up all the time uh, when I'm working with folks, is that they feel like waiting one month is going to be, is going to, you know, waiting is so hard anyway in this process. Mm -hmm. And then waiting, you know, I feel like we're all indoctrinated in this um, idea that our fertility is going to run out at a certain Mm -hmm. time. And so there is, it's like this subconscious, you know, they say the ticking clock or, you know, where it's like, yeah, I feel like part of this process is decolonizing the timelines of what we've been taught around fertility. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And so important for the non-gestational partners to have their, to check in with themselves and, and know that their, their value to this whole process. Yeah. I know that was a big a big part of our, you mentioned um, in the beginning when we were kind of bickering and weren't seeing eye to eye or didn't know how to communicate our feelings. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big part of it because Ariel wasn't sure how to insert her feelings into the situation when she didn't feel like she should have them. Right. Um, and she was, it wasn't happening like physically to her. Right. So yeah, it was a lot of miscommunication, mm-hmm. but but as a non-gestational parent, it's completely 100% your experience too. Mm-hmm. It's something you're mentally like going through at the same time. Like no, it's not phys- a physical experience for you, but the mental aspect alone is an yeah. emotional roller coaster, the waiting. Yeah. Um it's it's like a uh, it's a roller coaster. Yes, it is such a roller coaster. <laughs> and I'm sure it does become physical. Also, there's probably some physical manifestations, you know, going as the non-gestational partner. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I'm so curious too, as a healthcare practitioner myself, and I know I have a lot of healthcare practitioners in my audience. Do you have any thoughts or ideas of like what we could be doing differently or better? you know, to support uh, folks who are trying to conceive, especially queer folks and especially queer folks of color? I wish that um, insurance carry insurance had uh, more options for yeah. fertility, more affordable options. Also, maybe something specific for queer families. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I understand that that's maybe my grandkids will have that, <laughs> but um I mean, you know, if we're if we're speaking on it, that is what I wish. Yeah. Because it's it's a, so many hoops that we have to go through. And then just at the very root of it all, I think just always listening to your patient and always being that their their number one advocate in their health journey when they come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very important. The number one thing I would. If you're not doing it already, I don't know. I hope you are. Yeah. But just take a second thought and just be that advocate that they need, that we need. Yes. And know that they are the experts in their lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, I love it. Every guest that comes on the podcast, I like to ask this question. Um, in Chinese medicine, our fertility is referred to as our essence. So the more we are able to get in touch with who we, who we really are or our essence or what I call our whole self, 
um, the more access we have to our fertile potential or our creative power. Um, so I'm wondering, do either of you have any personal practices or rituals in place that allow you to connect with your essence or your whole self? I recently started therapy. Uh, yes, I love it. <laughs> and, and that's been helping tremendously, um, helping me connect with my soul, my essence. Mm -hmm. Go to therapy, people. Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't even know what more to say about that. <laughs> Um, and also, it's also, again, I talk about us learning our spirituality together. It's really motivated me to learn my spirituality individually, too. Mm -hmm. So I journal a lot. So that's one of the practices that, that I do is just journal my thoughts. That's how I become connected with my my soul, my, I forgot what you said. The essence or your whole yeah, self. Essence. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that. That's how I, I become too. connected with my essence. That's how I talk to myself mm -hmm. is through journaling. How I connect to my essence is um, yoga. Oh yeah. Yoga and meditation are my go-to things. Mm -hmm. I want to get to a place where it's daily, but right now it's about twice a week and I do morning I do sunrise yoga. Oh, amazing. So it's it's fantastic to start my days like that, to really get in touch with who I am, ground myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I am enough. You know, I'm worthy. I'm loved. That's how I get in touch with my essence. You amazing. know, I, I, I make sure that I flex my, uh, my solar plexus. I make sure that I am, you know, in tune with, you know, my root chakra, all of those things. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah, every morning, every morning I'm going through all seven. Wow. That's beautiful. How do you flex your solar plexus? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what I said. Um, but essentially, I do yoga poses and uh, make sure that I'm doing aff saying affirmations that connect with that chakra. Gotcha. Okay. So like going through each chakra with an yeah. affirmation. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. If you ever do a tutorial on that. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you I know. will watch it and do it. Cool. <laughs> Oh, I'd love that. I'm not able to be up at sunrise to do it with her. Oh, I hear you. I know. That's because, and I also do it because I'm a Capricorn. I've got a lot of things to do. Yeah. Okay. So sunrise is my only time to make sure I'm putting me first. Totally. You're like, I got shit to do. Right. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love those answers so much. Well, Dominique and Ariel, how can people find you and support you and follow your story? Yes, you can find us everywhere at the word queer um, on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook. And we also have a blog um, that is queer? still in the works, but yes. go check it out. <laughs> it's thewordqueer.com. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask if you're on TikTok. I was like, yes, I yeah. hope so. Oh, good. That's how you can find us. Please look us up. We aim to be a tool. And tell us how you community. tell us how you found us. We would love to know if you came from here. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, well, it's just, I love this conversation so much. You two are so inspiring. And I know so many folks um, got so much value and feel so seen um, listening to this conversation today. So thank you both so, so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thanks for listening to the Intersectional Fertility Podcast. To get customized fertility recommendations based on your whole self fertility method element, join my mailing list at intersectionalfertility.com and get immediate access to my two-minute quiz. If you like the show and want to hear more, tap subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And please leave us a review. It really, truly helps. The Intersectional Fertility Podcast is hosted by me, Josie Rodriguez-Boucher, and produced by Rosary Productions with original music by Jen Cordy.